0: As we draw near now to God through his word, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. We'll be here in Hebrews chapter 10. And to help us draw near now, would you please pray with me? Uh, Lord, we've just sung these things. Would you draw us near to yourself? As we draw near to your word, would you help us to hear So that we would draw near to you, cause us to hear you, cause us to know you, cause us to believe and to trust in you. We ask your help by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, we'll start here in verse 19 and read just a few verses here. This is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Now, the author of Hebrews has been diving pretty deep Theologically, in these recent chapters. He is now here in this section wrapping up several chapters in which he has been expanding on the doctrines of Jesus, especially the doctrines of Christ as our great high priest. And just to remind us here, the context of what the author is saying is not a classroom. He is not speaking to a bunch of students. His context is a sanctuary. So his goal, as he writes to us here, is not just to teach true doctrines as important as that is. When he tells us about the doctrines of Jesus, he is causing us or trying to cause us to worship Jesus to make us faithful followers of Jesus. That's why these last chapters of the book of Hebrews will focus on just that, on building our faith. And I think the turning point in focusing on faith is here in this section at the very beginning in verse 19. You see the word that cues that turn, the word, therefore, In other words, that because Jesus is better, because Jesus is a better high priest, we want that to bring us to walk by faith in him. And he's going to tell us here in this section three ways, three times, uh, three ways that that faith can be built. Three times you'll see him use the words, let us, in the text. There are three three heads of let us. Here for us to chew on, three lettuces. So you can see the author's logic. Let's back up just for a second to get us to that point. You can see the, the the logic of the passage. If you read slow on your own, you can do these sorts of things. I know you can. Look at his pattern. So in verse 19, he says, therefore, brothers, since... Here's a reasoning now for what he's about to say. Since we have what? Two things, he says. Since we have... Confidence by the blood of Jesus—that's one—and then in verse twenty-one, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so since we have confidence in Christ's blood, and since we have Christ as our great high priest, priest, that's the basis. Now, what? Let us, he says in verse twenty-two. Let us, and here's the three—they're the next three verses. Verse twenty-two. Let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's draw near. Let's hold fast. Let's consider how to stir up one another. And we could take all three of those lettuces together, stir them up, and make one big salad. Uh, They're linked here together. Uh, But I want to hold those last two, the holding fast and the stirring up one another for the next time we're together, because I want to give very special attention to this first one. I want us to really sink our teeth into the beginning of verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Now, the natural question when I read that is, draw near to what? What am I drawing near to? And I I think, you know, my gut gives me a sense of it. We can get a good sense of this if we've been following the flow of the book, but we just want to make sure that that we're on track here. We're not drawing near to a geographic place. This is not some sort of pilgrimage. This is not like a Mecca trip or a Holy Land trip, as cool as that might be. And, And we're also not necessarily called here just to draw near to each other. This is not a football huddle. You probably get the sense of that. We're called to draw near to God. We're entering the holy places to draw near to God. The author has been pointing us in this direction through the whole book. You don't have to turn here, but I'll just read a number of verses. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 25, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please him, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Faith, in other words, is drawing us to God. In many ways, this is the primary work of Jesus. Jesus did not come just to save you from sin. It's very important that he does that, but that is not his ultimate goal. Saving us from sin is means to a greater goal. Jesus did not come just to make you righteous so that you would be good. That's means to a greater goal. And Jesus did not come just to make you try to get others to accept Jesus so that they would be saved from sin and be good. This is all means to a greater goal. Jesus means to draw us near. Paul is explicit about this in one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. It's the reference, I think, is even one of my passwords, my Facebook password. I should change that, I suppose, now that I've said that out loud. Uh, but um, where is it? First Peter chapter three, verse verse 18. Listen to each one of these words: "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous." that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter here tells us the fact that Jesus uh, died for sin, the fact that Jesus makes us righteous, but he also tells us the reason why Jesus did that. It's so that Jesus would bring us to God. It's so that Jesus would undo the curse of our rebellion that brought us death and separation from God. It's so that Jesus would make us alive again as we're drawn back into the Garden of Eden so that we could walk with God again in the cool of the day. Jesus says to his followers, he says, follow me. But he also says, come to me. Be with me. Draw near to me. This is the true glory of the Christian life that we get to be with God. So what would your life look like if you made this your life's goal? Just to draw near to God. If we spend our days, however many days we have, many or few, if we spend our days drawing near to God, it will change us. It will shape us. It will transform us. This is not just something that we hold off and wait to do till after we die. We know we will be with God in a whole new sense that day. But we draw near now. We draw near regularly and often. We don't want to waste our lives by failing to draw near to God. This is the one who made us and loves us and wants to be glorified in us. There are there are barriers to drawing near to God. I know this, big ones even. One of the biggest barriers to drawing near to God is that sometimes we simply don't know how. Just don't know how to do it. It's hard. And so our question today is just that. How do we draw near to God? How do we draw near to God? And just to say some of these things up front, this is not going to be a, a, an uber-practical checklist, okay? This is not a step-by-step guide that if you do one, two, and three, ta-da, you will draw near to God. The specifics of a lot of these things are, are best fitting to context of discipleship and not to a sermon. But still, I think during this time, we can get the big picture that will really give us real help It'll give us real encouragement, I think. I hope so. So as we're asking how, we're going to unfold that together in three ways. How uh, how do we draw near to God? First, what is the means? Second, what is the manner? And third, what is the motive? What is the means for drawing near to God? What is the manner for drawing near to God? And what is the motive for drawing near to God? First, let's do this first one. What is the means to draw near to God? In other words, by what way do we come to God? If you look in verse 22 in our text, there's a, there's a big list that comes after Let us draw near, and then you can see all these things tacked on at the end of it with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean, with our bodies washed. And you, but you'll notice in this big list, that this is not a list of commands. This is not a list, uh, this is not a to-do list. The command here is to draw near. These other things, the true heart, assurance of faith, those things seem to happen in another way. So, this is not the kind of thing that we do with our kids at the dinner table. If you eat your peas then you get your pie. I do that. This is not that. If you clean up your dishes, then you can go out and play. If you clean your heart, then you can draw near to me. That's not what's happening here. The true heart, the full assurance of faith, all of these things are important. They are important. They're even necessary, but they are products. They are the outcome of what has happened through Christ in his blood and his high priesthood. Jesus, he says here, is the new and living way. Jesus is the open curtain. Jesus is the only door for the sheep. So it's no surprise, I hope it's no surprise, that the means by which we draw near to God is through Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way we can draw near to God. It's through Jesus. And If you go, yes, I knew that. I'm glad. Good. I'm glad if it's not a surprise. I hope you know this already. Uh, It's not my goal to surprise us uh, with new things. These are old truths. But still, even though it's old, even though it's familiar that our means of drawing near to God is through Jesus, let's not forget that that's still wonderful. That's still amazing. God, the creator of all things, has opened the way of access to himself by his own goodness. It's His self, himself that draws us near, and that is freeing to us. That is far better than anything else culture could provide or suggest. We know culture will often suggest a different way for this. Uh, Culture might say that the way to freedom, uh, the true way to God or, or, or whatever your God is, or whatever the universe perhaps, the true way to that is to be true to yourself. You know, if you look deep inside yourself, you will find the strength there. That is really bad advice. It's really exhausting advice. Uh, I, I respect Oprah in a lot of ways. But she has bought this idea wholeheartedly. She even pushes it. She, she promotes it, that you've got to look deep inside herself, yourself for this. Uh, if you've ever seen or heard of her program, uh, Super Soul Sunday, I think you'd have to DVR it because it's during this time. You'll hear a lot of versions of this. Look deep inside yourself. You'll even hear it from, from preachers sometimes, but they're wrong when they say it. Oprah is is famous sometimes for saying that one of her favorite spiritual teachings comes from Glinda the Good Witch at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Now... I love The Wizard of Oz, you know this, I love The Wizard of Oz, but I, you know I would think twice about having that be my primary source of spiritual teaching, but, uh, and I think uh, Oprah misunderstands Glinda the Good Witch at the end of The Wizard of Oz anyway. So you remember, at the end, we've all seen The Wizard of Oz, uh, the, they all get what, they're, what they've asked for, the Tin Man gets his heart, the Scarecrow gets his brains, the, uh, who am I missing, the Cowardly Lion gets his courage, and, and Dorothy just wants to go home. She just wants to go back to good old Kansas. And then Glinda comes in on this floating pink bubble, remember? And then she stands there and she says, I want to go home. And Glinda says, Dorothy, you have always had the power with you to go home. Now, when Oprah hears that, she interprets that to mean that Dorothy has the power inside of her. If she would just look deep within her heart, she, she's had the power to go home. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. That is clearly not what Glenda means. What is the power that Dorothy has to go home? It's the shoes, right? She's been wearing these, well, in the book, the silver slippers in the book, the ruby slippers in the movies. She's been walking around, and they're magic. They've got this fantastic power. So she's really saying, Dorothy, don't look for the magic deep inside yourself. If you do that, you'll miss it. The power is actually quite distinct from you, but the magic is with you. Magic's not from you, but it is with you. You. In a similar way, the means, if I can say it, the magic, but you, not literally magic, but you know it, the means by which we draw home to God is not by looking deep within. If we do that, it will only draw us further away from God, but the means is to look to Jesus. And He is far better. He is with us if we put our faith in him. So there's the first one. The means by which we draw near is Christ himself. Let's look at the second one. The manner by which we draw near. In other words, in what way are we to come to God? What's our demeanor as we come to God? The author here uses what I think is an unexpected word to describe our entry into the throne room of God. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we're to draw near with confidence. That's the manner in which we draw near. Now, we might expect, at least I might expect the author to use a word like we draw near with humbleness, humility, We draw near with reverence. We draw near with fear. Each of those, there's biblical truth in each one of those, but I think in light of the fact that Christ is our great high priest, I think the author here chose this word on purpose, that we are to come near with confidence. That means that our entry into the very throne room of God is going to be very different than the experience of Esther. You remember, it's been several months now since we worked our way through the book of Esther. Uh, but but in that book, at, at one point, the king, who has complete control over his empire, um, puts out an edict to kill all the Jews, and, and he doesn't know that his wife, Esther, also happens to be a Jew. And so Esther's cousin, Mordecai, um, Calls to Esther to intercede for the Jews. You know, don't, you need to stand up. Don't be silent, Esther. go, Go to the king and speak to him to save us. And Esther knows that if she does this, she is literally risking her neck to do it. Because if you go into the throne room without a direct invitation, you can be executed. And so she decides to go with the very famous words, If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. For Esther to draw near to the king is an act of courage. It's an act of gritty determination. It's an act of danger, risk. And some of us may feel that way when we think about approaching the throne room of God. Danger, risk, courage. If I perish, I perish. But the author of Hebrews tells us that through Christ, our drawing near to God is very different from that. We have a very different kind of boldness. We come with a cool confidence before God. And we know that there are many things that our confidence before God is not. When we're before God, we are not overconfident That's arrogance. We also, before God, kneel and bow in his presence at times because he is God and we are not. He is sinless and we are not. We also don't come before God with a self-confidence. Our confidence isn't a result of our own skill, our own ability, our own obedience, our own winning smile. It's not that. It is also not a false confidence something that's just manufactured this is not just fake it till you make it but also this is not a lack of confidence later in this chapter the author will say do not throw away your confidence don't treat it as something that you lack now some will say but but Nathan i i don't feel confident Before God. When I come before God, I often feel guilty or embarrassed or ashamed. I often feel like I don't belong there. And I understand that this is a particular challenge for many of us. Even Christians often feel this. But hear me now, the author of Hebrews tells us here that this confidence is not necessarily something we feel, it is something we have. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, this is something a Christian has, whether he feels it or not the Christian has confidence because that confidence is given to him by Jesus, and no one can take that confidence away. Satan may try to rob you of the feeling of confidence, but he cannot rob you of the actual truth of your confidence. He cannot rob you of your actual faith. So remember that. When you come before God, if you trust him, You have confidence in him. So raise your head when you draw near to God. Roll back your shoulders when you draw near to God. Throw open your arms wide when you draw near to God because Christ, the Son of God, is the one who brought you in. You belong there if you're with him. The manner in which we draw near is with confidence. Third, and finally, how do we draw near? What is, third, what is our motive? Let's talk about our motive for drawing near. What is our reason for drawing near to God? The author here does not tell us explicitly. He assumes some things, but we need to address this still. Jesus, in the Gospels, is constantly... Calling people to himself Even if you're not a believer as you read through the Gospels it's hard to miss that He's calling people to himself He's not just calling people to his teaching But calling them to Himself come to me He says and he calls all But he he gives a special calling Especially to those who are troubled And needy And hurting Come to me All you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all you who are hungry, and I will give you the bread of life. Come to me, all you who thirst, and I will give you living water. And when Jesus says this, he means it. What he says is true. These gifts are part of Jesus' grace to us. He gives us all of these things. When we come to Jesus, he will heal our deepest desires, he will revive our deepest hearts, and he will satisfy our deepest needs as we grow in Christ. These are good, good, good things. It's good for us to delight in those. It's good for us even to desire these gifts from Jesus, but... But As we look at the gifts that come from Christ There is a danger here And a temptation into sin If the main reason Or motive that we draw near to Jesus Is just to be healed Just to be revived Just to be satisfied and nothing more If that's our reason, as soon as he gives us what we want, we will abandon Jesus. As soon as we face any sort of trial or suffering, we will abandon Jesus. As soon as he tries to shape us in his image and convict us of sin, we will abandon Jesus. As soon as we run into a part of his word that troubles us or offends us, we will abandon Jesus. Listen. If we do not draw near to God simply to be with God, we will leave Him as soon as He gives us what we want. We want the motive of our drawing near to God, the purpose for our drawing near, to be like a married couple. Who just enjoy one another's presence They might ask things of one another They might give good gifts to each other They might show one another love But really they just want to be together It's not just to get things You know we have a, a name for a person Who draws near just to get things Not to be together but to get something out of it We call that person a gold digger you know, give me, give me this, give me money. And so, there's sometimes more than just money. Give me more money, give me more comfort. Give me more happiness, give me more safety, give me more love, give me more family or kids. Do your prayers to God look like that? Are your prayers to God mostly a list of give Is this the reason why you draw near to God? If it is, you may be acting like a Christian gold digger. It is, it is good for us to draw near to God, even to ask him for things that is not wrong we should examine the reasons why we draw near over the course of time. Uh, as I'm winding this down, I've been challenged, I may have even mentioned this some time ago, but it's worth mentioning twice, John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, asks us a simple yes or no question, but let this push on you. He writes this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with, with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted and no human conflict and no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Or to put what he's asking another way. Do you draw near to God because you want to be with him? Do you draw near to God because you love him? Do you really love him? If that question is unsettling to you, if that question disturbs you in some way, it makes you feel somehow unsure, Perhaps ashamed of your own sin, if you wonder if you are, or maybe could be headed in the wrong way, listen. Don't despair. And do not turn inward for a solution to this. But draw near to God in repentance. Draw near to God and ask him to refine your desires to shape your heart to look like his, to cleanse your conscience of sin, to wash you with pure water, to make his presence your joy. So that we live in a way that as we draw near by the blood of Christ, in the confidence of Christ, we draw near to be with Christ. Would you pray with me? Mm, Lord, even in saying these things, I feel some of the weakness in my own heart. Would you refine me and refine us? We we thank you for your great gifts, your mercies, your healing, your cleansing. But Lord, would you make yourself our greatest treasure? Would you make our greatest desire to to just be with you? We have confidence as we come and we have confidence that you are are able to work this in us. Would you do this in us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.